0: Let me pray for us as I uh, read God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you speak to us in your word. Give us years today to hear what you are saying. In Jesus' name, amen. So Exodus chapter 19, verse 1. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to Myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought the answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, Be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them, and they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, Prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. On the morning of the third day, There was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people, so they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us, put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. The Lord replied, Go down and bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord, or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people And told them. Now we keep going to verse eighteen, um on the next column of chapter twenty. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself, and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us, or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, uh, let's pray, shall we? Father God, we give you uh, abundant thanks uh, for your word for the privilege we have to hear it read and to hear it explained now. Father, we do pray that as we hear, uh, we will be struck by fear and and obey, that we may live lives that are fully pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let me ask, how do we relate uh, to each other? Well, I know that I relate differently depending on who I am speaking to, and it will depend on the relationship that I have with someone. So if I'm speaking to... A close friend who's an Aussie I'll certainly poke fun at them in love and while it might seem offensive from those outside it really is in love cheers big ears or same goes big nose or if someone's just had a haircut I won't point anyone out but uh, someone's just had a haircut and uh, you might say whoa what happened to you did you get attacked by a lawnmower or something whoa but it's really just an expression of my love for for these people But see, I wouldn't do it with all people and I certainly wouldn't do it with, uh, say, someone who's visiting us from overseas who's not aware of this culture and wouldn't realise that I'm poking fun and just having a bit of a laugh. And the way that we relate will really change depending on the nature of the relationship. And so some of us will respect those who are in, in authority, our bosses, police officers, politicians, our doctors, our parents. Uh, And certainly if you've been in the army, you've learnt really quickly that you must listen and obey those in authority because if you don't, well, you're in trouble. You see, how we relate matters. And particularly how we relate to God matters. We're continuing the book of Exodus and we're going to see that God, and we've seen that God has initiated a relationship with Israel. And so how they relate to God is important. We've been following along the story of Exodus from the from the start. And, and to recap the story that so far, I could do it in two words, slavery and rescue. Slavery and rescue. God's people, they were slaves in Egypt under the cruel and harsh rule of Pharaoh. And despite being asked many times, Pharaoh would not let them go. And so God, He worked His wonders. He used His creative and sovereign power in the ten plagues. He led them through the Red Sea. God rescued them out of slavery. And when God spoke to Moses for the first time, way back in chapter three, do you remember the burning bush? Whilst they're still slaves needing to be rescued, God said, I will rescue them. And he gave them an assurance. I've got it; it should be up on the screen from verse twelve. It says this: When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And as chapter nine begins, we see that that is what God has done. They have left Egypt, and they are now chapter chapter nineteen, verse two, camped there in front of. The mountain, You see, God has delivered them to the mountain as promised. God has rescued them out of slavery. He has brought them here so that they may serve him. Well, God has a message uh, for his people. Uh, in verse 3, it's for the descendants of, of Jacob and the people of Israel. And the crux of the message is, well, God wants a relationship with the people he's rescued. God wants a relationship. And he outlines what that relationship will look like. And he starts, he starts by looking back. He starts by looking to the past. Have a look there at chapter 19, verse 4 uh, in your Bibles. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself, God reminds them of what he has already done. He has rescued them. In fact, they've seen it for themselves, the ten plagues, the parting of the Red Sea. They've seen how God has acted mightily to save them. They've seen it all. It is in their living memory. And then God gives us an, an illustration of, of what the rescue looked like. He says, I carried you on eagle's wings... And brought you to myself. Now, look, I don't know if you know much about eagles and eaglets. That's the official term for a baby eagle, if you didn't know that. Eaglet. Something I learned this week. Uh, Anyway, do you know how they learn to fly? Well, it seems that one parent in the nest will kind of Encourage the will stir up the nest so that the eaglet kind of puffs out its wings and so it's kind of ready to go. And then the parent just kind of kicks it out of the nest. How crazy is that? Anyway, kicks it out of the nest and it starts flapping like crazy to kind of like kind of stay up. But then as it gets tired, another parent will kind of swoop underneath it and catch it on its back, giving it a rest. Uh, the, the eaglet does nothing on, on, on the back, it's just rested, protected safely on the back of its parents' back. And God says that is what he has done for his people. He has rescued them mightily. He has brought them to the mountain. But not only has he carried them on his back, he has guarded them, protected them, guided and provided for them. And they have done nothing. You see, it is God who initiates a relationship with Israel he rescued and brought them safely to himself. And the order of these things is really, really important, particularly as we continue to read. God saved them first. Before he required anything of them, God saved them first. And it's the same way God has always acted. You see, God's rescue comes before the law, as we'll see, salvation comes before obedience. God loves, God saves before requiring anything of people. And you see, we've got to remember that today for ourselves. Because God doesn't save us because we're impressive, because of the amazing things we may think we have done, because God owes us for some reason. No, 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 no. We need to remember that we are hopelessly horrid in sin. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, slaves to sin, broken, undeserving. And yet whilst we're still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, it is God's grace, God's undeserved, unmerited favour towards us. God rescues us in Christ. And while for some they may think that God is a demanding God, that he requires all these rules to be kept before he will save, you must do this, otherwise I won't touch you, I won't save you, we can just see that's just baloney, it's all plain wrong. God takes the first step. God acts first. He saves, he rescues before requiring anything of his people. And I think we see that in the way the book is structured, in the book of Exodus. We've spent the first 18 chapters, up to this point here, 19 chapters, where where nothing has been required of them. It is the picture of God saving his people in slavery into himself, in rescuing them. God initiates the relationship before requiring anything. That is because grace, God's grace comes before the law, salvation before obedience. Well, God initiates a relationship with uh, with his people by acting on their behalf and now that there's a relationship they're to remember in the present what God has done in the past and they do that have a look there at 19 verse 5. now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant and see God saved them he's initiated the relationship But they're to relate to God by obeying Him. What they do in the present is based on what God has already done in the past. They obey and keep His word because they're already, they are already in a relationship with God and so they obey. And while their salvation and rescue isn't, it's not dependent on their obedience, they are nonetheless required to obey because it's not a free ride God expects them to listen and obey just like a a basketball coach or a gymnastics coach or a netball coach or a footy coach whatever coach you can imagine in your head who requires you to listen and obey them they'll get you to do drills they'll get you to do training they'll make you do really hard work for the team And when you do it, it shows that you are part of the team. Or you might get cut from the team. You see, they were to obey God fully because that was the nature of the relationship. And you see, if we want to be in a relationship with God today, the very first thing is we need to be saved. We can't have a relationship with God unless we have been saved. And while we don't need to be saved from from Egypt and Pharaoh, no, 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 we need to be saved from death and judgment, from our rebellious hearts, from when we have swapped God for things that are not God. And you see, the only way we can be rescued and saved is through faith in Jesus, through his death and, and resurrection. Jesus has defeated sin and death and all its consequences. And through that, through trusting in Him, we can be brought into a right relationship with God. But we aren't saved because of the things we have done, because we have first been obedient. No, no, no. God saves first. He loved us first before requiring anything of us. And yet in response, in response to His mercy and grace, His love, His kindness... It's in response that we want to listen to his word and obey him. Just like Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. Commands. Like Israel, we have been rescued and we are to obey. And so let me ask you this morning, how are you going listening and obeying God's word? Well, God has rescued in the past and they're to obey. And there are future promises as well because when they obey, they will be drawn into this deeper, more intimate relationship with God. They will be God's treasured possessions. Now, I reckon the ESV has this super, super clear here. And so I've got the the words up on the screen. Um, It says this, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And the reason why I think it's it's clearer there, it brings those two ideas together. The whole earth is God. The whole universe, everything belongs to God. He made it. He sustains it. All things belong to him. And out of absolutely everything, these people, Israel, are his treasured possessions they are extremely special and valuable to him could you imagine Bill Gates having one favorite dollar of his billions and yet Israel this small people group of everything in the world they are God's treasured possession but you see there's more have a look there from verse 6 you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And I reckon these two ideas uh, come together. And while the priesthood uh, hasn't been established yet, we'll kind of see that as we, as we continue reading uh, uh, the book of Exodus and the, uh, and the books to come, the idea of the priest was they were to mediate between God and the people. They stood between God and the people. And their job was to teach, to teach God's word, the, his statutes, his, his precepts, his decrees, the, the words of God to the people. And, and that's kind of what Moses uh, has been doing and it's the things that Moses would teach uh, to come. But you see, it was more than that. They were to offer sacrifices and, and to pray on behalf of the people. You see, the priests had this dual job. Their job was to, to serve God and to serve the people. And you see, by calling them a kingdom of priests, they were to be the world's priests. They were to serve the world by standing between God and the world, the people of the world. They were to communicate God's uh, statutes, God's will to the world. They were to teach and speak God's word to, to the people around them. You see, they were to represent God. They were to be walking, talking advertisements for God. But they were also to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of God. They were to be holy, that is, set apart. They were to be distinct from the world because they represented God and were to stand for everything that God stands for. They were to live a life of of holiness, separate, of of different from the rest of the world. God says to them, you will be for me a, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You see, God was calling them to a specific role. They were to serve the world, the people of the world, by speaking of God into the world and yet they were to maintain their difference from the world. They weren't to move to monasteries and, and be removed from the world. They were to be part of the world, just live differently. They were to speak of God. They were to live uh, of, live differently. And so they, they, they've heard God out, and in, in verse 8, they say, We will do everything the Lord has said. But here's the thing. It doesn't take long, but they fail. They fail again and again and again and again, and I could just keep on saying again. They they just couldn't do it. But there was one who came many years later who was able to do what Israel couldn't. You see, Jesus was the light of the world who brought God's word into the world. He also lived the exemplary, holy life. You see, God provided Jesus uh, to fulfill his expectations for his people. He was the great high priest who never succumbed to sin and he paved the way for the world, that is us, to be in relationship with God through faith in him and the ideas that we've just been looking at in Exodus 19 they come together in this great passage in 1 Peter chapter 2 and i've got it up on the screen see if you can see the similarities as as i read this out for us but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation god's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness Into his wonderful light. It seems seems to me at least like Peter's just ripped the words straight out of Exodus nineteen and kind of just put them straight in there for us. You see, God has called us out of darkness. We were trapped and dead in judgment and sin. And he has brought us into his wonderful light. We have been saved. He has rescued us. But we too are God's special possession a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And it's come about because of our faith, our trust in the Lord Jesus, which which God has given us. And so the mission that Israel has back in Exodus is actually our mission too. As, as God has saved us, we are to declare these wonderful, amazing things to the world around us. We are to speak and yet we are to live holy, godly lives as well, we are to live differently from the world around us because we are to be walking, talking, advertisements, billboards for God. People will see us and it will reflect back on God. And here's the thing. People may accept or reject the gospel because of the way that we live our lives. People see us. They will see the way that we treat others, the way that we interact, the way that we love or, and care or, or when we don't. People will see when we're being hypocrites and they may well reject the gospel. I, I heard this story recently about a husband and a wife. Uh, they'd built up this friendship, this this relationship with these unbelieving uh, couple and uh, they'd had lots of conversations in the past but but the unbelieving couple they had really specific questions that they really wanted to sit down and have some time and really engage and talk about these kinds of things. And so a night had been set, they were going to meet together and, and, and chat. But just before, uh, and they are going to meet at the, the home of, of the believers, and just before, uh, they are about to come. The husband and a wife, the believing couple, they get into this massive, massive fight. And it's nasty. It's a nasty, verbal, awful, horrific fight. Awful things were said. I can't even repeat them. And then the doorbell rang. And they have heard everything. And the very first thing they say is, We don't want to have anything to do with you or your God. You are just like us. How are you any different from us? You see, how we conduct our lives matters. And it will affect the words we use when we proclaim Christ. Well, God has initiated a relationship with his people And they are to represent God with their lives. They are to be walking, talking, advertisements for God. And God's people, will they agree? And now Israel are going to hear God speak for themselves. They will hear the very words of God. But they need to be prepared. They need to scrub up to hear God. You see, verse 10, they are to be consecrated, purified, to meet a holy God. They must be consecrated, uh, made holy to be in his presence. Let me ask you, I wonder what you would do if you were to meet with the Queen of England. You'd probably buy yourself a new dress, uh, have a, uh, get a new suit. You'd most likely get a haircut. Well, I would certainly need to have myself a, a haircut. Would I shave? Maybe I'd trim. Uh, I'd have a shower, we'd put on some deodorants, we'd scrub up. We would scrub up to look the part, to look nice, to meet the Queen of England. And so how much more Israel, as they meet the holy creator of the universe, how much more would they need to be prepared and scrub up to meet with him? But they were also to set limits in where they could be. In verse 12 and 23, we see that they couldn't get too close to God. Because when a holy God comes in contact with something that is unholy, well, well death follows. They're to scrub up and set limits to hear God speak. And so they do. And on that day, three days later, verse 16, have a look there. There was Thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. And down to verse 18. Mount Sinai was was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpets grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. As God speaks, it would have been the most terrifying, frightening experience. The smoke, the, the noise, the thunder, the tremors, like, like we're in the middle of an earthquake and a volcano, and a thunderstorm all at the same time. What an awesome, frightening thing to have experienced. And as they hear God speak, uh, particularly from the parts that wasn't wasn't read out for us uh, today, uh, he gives the Ten Commandments. And while we don't have time to work through each of the commandments, you'll be be glad to know, Uh, what we do see is that It's the means by which Israel were to relate with God, how they were to relate with God in the relationship that he had initiated. The commandments were God's good word to Israel. They were to provide Israel with direction and instruction to how to live in the relationship that God had initiated, how to relate to their God who had saved and rescued them. Well, the people have heard God speak, and they are struck with fear. Have a look there in chapter 20, verse 18. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we'll listen. But do not have God speak to us or we will die. You see, they've heard God speak and they respond in fear. You see, this is the only time where they hear God speak directly. Normally it's Moses who speaks on their behalf and later prophets would speak on God's behalf. But as they hear God's voice in the flesh, they are terrified. They tremble with fear. And this is the right kind of fear. It is a fear of reverence and awe, of recognizing how powerful and awesome and amazing God is. As he speaks, they could see and feel his awesome power. But it's not a fear that God is out to get them because they know that God is on their side. They were, remember God's special treasured possession. It is not a fear that we may have of of spiders or or some other danger we may get into uh, where we recoil and, and flinch in fear. No, 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 God is for them. You see, this fear is to lead to godly behavior. Have a look there from verse 20. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you. So that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. You see, this is a loving fear of God. Not that God is out to get you. No, no. But a fear that will keep them from sinning. A fear that will help them obey their awesome, almighty God. You see, God wants his people to obey, to fear and obey him. You see, God has entered into this relationship with his people and they can't take it lightly. You see, they need a good and right, righteous fear that will keep them, prevent them from sinning. It is a loving fear. Uh, And it's the same kind of fear we need today. A good and and right fear of recognising God's almighty, majestic power knowing that he is on our side. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, remember. And yet we need a loving fear of God too. And it is a fear that we should be praying for, that we would have this loving fear of God. Because how we live matters. Our behavior, our conduct matters. We can't take our relationship with God lightly. He saved us and brought us into relationship with him and so we need the right fear of God that leads us to obey him and to keep us from sinning. And so are we listening to God's voice? Are we hearing God speak through his word? And upon hearing him speak and hearing his word are we changing our behaviour? in fear of God, and to obey? Or has God's voice become one of many? One of many in your life that it is just just gets drowned out, that we, we just tune off like the other voices we hear. What do we need to hear from God and his word that we will repent from? You know, I need to ask the same question of myself. I ask it of you, but I ask it of myself as well. What is it that after hearing God's word, do I need to confess before God? I ask of you, selfishness, greed, lies, sexual immorality. In fact, insert whatever here that you don't want me to ask you about this morning. May the right loving fear of God lead us to repent from our sin and obey and live for him. You see, God has saved and rescued us and he has done that before he required anything of us. And now that we are in relationship with him, we seek to live and obey him. And we do so with a fear of God that will help us put sin to death in our lives and to live for God. And so let's pray and ask God to help us do this because we can only do that with his help. Let's pray. Father God Almighty, we give you great thanks for the way that you have saved and rescued us. For the way that you have brought us from the dominion of darkness into your wonderful light. You saved us when we were dead and have given us life. We pray in response to all that you have done for us that we would live holy and obedient lives, that we would have the right fear of you that leads us to obey and to trust you and to live our lives in service of you. Father, please uh, grow us to be great, walking, talking advertisements of you in the way that we live our lives, that you may be honoured and glorified through us. Father, we thank you again for all that you have done for us. In Jesus' name. Amen.